it, it follows in some realms the typical greeting of, of that day. Uh, but Paul had some unique things about his letters that were different than the common letter. And uh, he would often, in fact, he, his greetings seemed to always be filled with thanksgiving. And uh, he would also, uh, in his letters to, to the churches, he would thank God and he would commend them for the good things that were going on in their church. And then invariably he would also exhort them, uh, in his, even in his salutation, uh, regarding the bad things that were going on. And the book of Philippians is no different. And, and so as we look at this text, we, we address the issue of our lives regarding what is your goal in life? What should our goal be? You know, I mean, what compels us? What propels us? What, what motivates us? What's, what gets us going? If, you, if somebody said to you, so what are you trying to do in this life? What is our goal in life? Is it to, and I quote John, uh, John Wesley, is our goal as Christians in life to, quote unquote, do all the good we can in all the ways we can to all the souls we can in every place we can at all the times we can with all the zeal we can as long as ever we can. Is that our job? Is to just, you know, to just do good at all times, no matter what. Is that what God would have? Hey, that's certainly better than doing all the bad we can and all the ways we can to all the souls we can, you know, right? Clearly, uh, God wants us to be rich in good works, doesn't He? But I want to ask you, is that, does it really not matter what we do as long as we're doing good? Is that God's will for our life? Hey, just do all the good you can. Just do all the good you can. Is that what our life is all about? Could it be that when all is said and done, and we've done all the good we can at all the times we can, to all the souls we can, uh, could it be that if that was our mode, and I mean, we just went around and did good every single time we could, every need that came up, every opportunity, we just went around and did good. Could, at the end of our lives, could it be said that maybe we had done some of the things that we did? We had done things that we should not have done and that we did do things that we should not have done. You see, if all, all we are supposed to do is just, just go out there and do good, as much good as you can, indiscriminately, just go do good. Then, folks, I submit to you that, first of all, we'd be pretty burnt out. But besides that, it's very likely that if we're just going around like a pinball, a, a pinball machine, you know, bouncing off things, just, just doing, going from one good deed to another good deed based on whatever need is thrust in our face, I submit to you that it's very possible that we missed God's best for us. In other words, yes, we did good, but just maybe we got distracted doing good and missed doing what is best. 
See, in this text today, Paul says in verse 10 that ye may approve things that are excellent. You see, God does care what you and I do. And He wants us in our Christian life to not just settle, not just going around doing good indiscriminately. He wants us to embrace what is best. And so let's look at this challenge. I'll give you the outline, and we're just going to jump right in. The title is Embracing the Best. Three, three points from each verse. Verse 9 is a challenge to grow. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. And then point two is the course to grow. First is the challenge to grow. Then is the course to grow. And that is approving or embracing that which is best. Not just, you know, not just going around and doing what's good, but God wants us to embrace the best things. The best things. In other words, you and I will have lots of options in our life. And on a given day, there will be overwhelming amounts of good that you can do that if there's no discernment, no choosing wisely, then you and I may, we may settle for something that's okay and miss what is excellent. And thereby, not use our energies the best we can. And then thirdly, the criteria of growth. And that's found in that last statement in verse 11. And folks, it's it, part of doing this, the idea of embracing the best is for the glory of God. So let's jump in. Look at verse 9. Challenge to grow. Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. That's, that's Christian life. You know, when you and I get saved, He begins a work of love in us. That work of love would compel the Apostle Paul, the love of Christ constrained us. I mean, that would motivate him. And you know, when you and I get saved, it just begins. I mean, God gives us a love for Christ, a love for His people. You know, the love of God is amazing. Uh, I've seen it for decades now in this church body. I have seen people genuinely love one another. And you know, when you love one another, when you love with Christ's love, you have the ability to love some people that are not lovable. Isn't that true? I mean, not everybody's easy to get along with, right? Some of you are like looking at me like, who are you talking about? You know? But it's true, isn't it? I mean, there's some, and it's all, you know, because we're all wired differently. And, and you know, there might be, um, someone else might rub you like sandpaper and someone else might really just, you love them. and then, But to, to the other person, you know, it's different. God puts, we, we are so different. And, you know, for example, in high school, when I went to high school, it was a large high school, 400 plus people, nothing like Upper Darby, you know, 400 people in our graduating class. And there were people that you naturally gravitate towards. Hey, I like this guy. And, you know, I like this person. And then there are certain people that, I don't want to stay away from them. And you kind of just fall into that naturally. But when God saves us, He puts us together. He, like, takes that mix in the world of uh, all kinds of odd people, like me, you know. And He puts us together, and He gives us a love for one another. 
And I've seen people love some really humanly unlikable people, at least to some. It's an amazing thing. But I want you to look at this, because Paul's prayer was that that would grow. And there was still room to grow, as we're going to see later on. He would have to exhort two people that were having a hard time loving one another. They were very divisive. So there's room to grow. But he's not saying, you know what, just just grow in love. Indiscriminately, just, just get more loving. Just love. Intensify your love. No, look what he says. And, I, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, not a period, in knowledge and in all judgment. In all judgment. This is interesting. Our love is to increase. You know, one of the signs you're growing in the Lord is God gives you a love for Jesus Christ. He gives you a love for the Bible, His Word. And He gives you a love for other Christians. It's an amazing thing. But it's not indiscriminate. You see, there's a missing ingredient or... Not a missing ingredient, but it's something that is to guide our love. We are supposed to be more loving today than we were three years ago, if you're saved that long. We are to, every year we are to be growing more loving. But that love is not without boundaries. That love has to be in, notice what it says, in knowledge and in all judgment. That's very important. Now look at the word. Knowledge is, you know, obviously growing as the more we learn about Christ, the more we know Him, the more we become like Him. So you study God's Word, you learn, and you're growing in knowledge. But that second word is the key. In fact, look at this. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. The word judgment has the idea of discernment. You ever heard that word discernment? The word discernment, the root word, is to separate. Here's the definition of discernment or judgment. The action or faculty of perceiving or noting a distinction between things. It's discrimination, discriminating, you know, discriminating tastes. Um, It's differentiation. And when you talk about that word discernment, often the word will discerning, the word that's attached with it, discerning between. You see, if you're just looking at one thing, there's nothing to discern. But whenever you have two things that come together, you need to separate, you need to be discerning. You need to be able to discern the good from the bad. You and I need to be able to separate and you know, again, separate and say, okay, that's right, that's wrong. And, and our love has to be guided by that discernment. Listen to what Isaiah told the people of God, the, the Jews. He said this in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. He said, woe unto them that call good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, people that don't discern. People that just take everything, you know, as if everything's good. Oh, there's no wrong, there's no right. Boy, we live in that day, don't we? 
You don't condemn anything except for those who are discerning. And then he says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Are you discerning? Part of growing in the Lord is being discerning. And that discerning is going to come out. On Wednesday nights, we've been looking at, at, at wisdom. And in James chapter 3, we have seen that wisdom is discerning. There is a wisdom that is from above. There is a wisdom that is from the world. And they are very different. And there's a lot of people that mistake the wisdom of the world for the wisdom of God. And they go following some kooky people and some kooky teachings because they do not have that discernment. You and I have to be able to be discerning. Let me give you an example. Um, No, let me go back to this. Wisdom, thinking of our Wednesday night study in wisdom, wisdom demands that we judge nothing before the time. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. People that are wise understand that they need to kind of weigh the evidence. There's this thing in our American jurisprudence that is a a law, that's, you know, it's a philosophy that applies not just in law when it comes to crime and things that are wrong. But here's the statement. People are innocent until proven what? Guilty. That's discernment. That's judge nothing before the time. In other words, when you and I are discerning We are not swift to speak and swift to pass judgment. We are slow because we're processing. And some things are not for us to even make a decision on. I love the verse in Proverbs 18 and verse 17, or um, different one, proverb that says this. Because here's what the picture is. Every day you and I live, Every day we have our business, we talk to people, we engage with people, we walk past people. Every day, you and I pass by other people's business. You know that? I mean, you'll hear about the neighbor. Oh, did you hear about Susie? Susie's having a problem with Marsha. Oh man, you should hear it. Every day, you and I pass by strife That doesn't belong to us. And unfortunately, too many times, people pass by strife that doesn't belong to them and they meddle with it. And you know what Proverbs says? He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. I have never taken a dog by the ears, but I imagine it would not go well. Right? I mean, what's, think about it. And yet people are doing it all the time. Now, what's needed? Discernment. And this has been coming to my mind because recently my wife and I were passing by strife that belonged to someone else. There's a, a church that's kind of going through a split. And we love the people that are in it. And we, you know, we haven't heard both sides of the story. In fact, we only heard one side, not even that side. We heard hearsay. You know, and you always have to be careful about hearsay, you know, because it's not it's not firsthand information. But we've been passing by it because we heard what's happening. We've had people give their take on it. It's burdened us because we love these people. It's really burdened us. And my wife and I are, you know, trying to remind ourselves. 
We don't know all the facts. And besides that, it's not for us to know. It's not our business. It's not strife. Now, we're praying for everyone, and, and, and maybe someone will come to us for counsel or whatever, and we might have to get involved. But I'm telling you right now, the worst thing that we could do, and this is what's been hard for me, is to make a decision on it. Because I'm, in this case, very sympathetic to one, one side. You know, and, and, and so I want that person to be right. But you know what? It's not my shot right now. And, and um, you remember that proverb, Proverbs 18 and verse 17? It basically says, uh, the first person to plead their case, and this is a paraphrase of our text here, first person to present their case seems right. When you hear the first side of the story, it always seems right. But then his neighbor comes, and by the way, this, the terms that's used in this verse is legal jar- jargon. The first one to present their case is the one that seems right. But then they're cross-examined. Then you get the other side, and that's when the truth is, is basically presented. Now, that's, that takes discernment. That takes the ability to, you know, and, and this is why our love is supposed to grow more and more, but with discernment in knowledge. Now, look at verse 2. How do you do that? What, or what's the course of our growth? We're supposed to grow more and more in uh, knowledge and judgment, but look at verse 10. That, there's a, there's a reason we're supposed to be growing in knowledge and judgment. It's so that we may approve, and th- the same word that's translated approve is also translated prove, and the idea of this word is to test and find out. That we may approve things that are excellent, i.e., in other words, to discern what is best. See, folks, our life is not just about going about doing good. Our life is trying to make sure that we see, because some good things can be a total waste of time. And by the way, I'm not saying that everything that we do has to be, like, we need to pray all the time. And if you're not praying, you're wasting God's time. You know, some people get so so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. In other words, they, they, they're, just, they're not in reality. But understand that every, every day we have choices, and sometimes we may choice, choose something and think that's good, but it's not the best. And so we're not approving things that are excellent. Paul said this, very similar to what Paul said in, in uh, Romans 2.17. He's talking about um, the Jews, and he said, um, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and res- re- re- resist. I wrote the wrong word here. And you make yourself boast of God, verse 18, Romans 2.18, and knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent. That's the same exact Greek phrase that is translated the way our text is today. Uh, again, and, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. So, regarding our time, are you embracing what is best in other words not just going around doing good randomly yes i'm always doing good i'm just a good deed doer and i do good to everyone that i can at all the times i can however i can whenever i can even when i'm out of breath you know is that what we're supposed to do no we need to we need to be looking at our options and sometimes we may need to say no to something that's good in order to say yes to something that is better 
there is um, on the back table, I don't know if some of you have taken this, but I had the opportunity to write an article for the Keystone Baptist, which is our state fellowship. Uh, and what I did was I basically just wrote an article based on what I was teaching in our Bible study hour. Whenever Charlie would go away, I would take over. So this was like a year or two ago. And I was just talking about truth. And I made the main point that truth, and I've said this from the pulpit even because it was in, in my mind. Uh, but this, if, in fact, if you don't come to our adult Bible study and you weren't there back then, I encourage you to take that article. I printed just the article on the back table, and it's just called Truth. And I just share what I shared during the Bible study, things that God has been teaching me, and over and over again. Truth does not fear being questioned. Don't forget that. Truth does not feel threatened if, if it is challenged. Truth welcomes being challenged. In fact, that's how truth is established. You know, we, when, we, you and I don't need to be afraid to present the truth or have people question it. Because that's how it's established. If someone could say, well, you know, what about this? I don't think your statement is true. And, they, and somebody says, because of this, if it's truth, we'll eventually be able to say, no, 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 that's, here's, you're looking at it the wrong way. And, and truth is reasonable. Very reasonable. That's why Paul went in and reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Because he was preaching truth. So you don't ever need to fear being questioned. And when you hear any pastor or teacher, especially some of these YouTube kooks, when you hear them getting so riled when somebody dares to question them, I mean, they start getting vulgar and insulting. They start name-calling. Some of, these, some of these debates, I love debates. I really do. We need to debate. We need to argue. But some of them are just, it's so clear. You know, talk about James 3 and the wisdom that's from the world. It's so clear that, you know, what's this person being so defensive for? You know, if it's truth... Let it be challenged. So that's an important point. And I have learned, um, and I share this in the article a little more. I grew up, and I remember as a young kid, that I was told, I grew up in a different church, and I was told if any literature did not have my church's, I guess you call it seal of approval, it was a Latin word that I put in the article, that we were not supposed to read it. You know, the, the idea of, and, and we're not talking about, you know, in fact, keep this in mind in the article. Because at the end of the article, I say, if anybody ever tells me, don't read this book, if it's something I'm interested, it's a must read for me. It is. Because I want to, and I'm not talking about, there are some, that's not to talk about like obscenity. There are things that are just vulgar and vile that would, you know, are morally wrong. Pornography is not free speech. It's free wickedness and corrupting of minors. So when we talk about the idea of free speech and all, we're saying I, the, in the realm of ideas, you know, give me, when I embrace something, I have learned and I'm still learning, you give me the best argument against this. Because I could be wrong. There's some people that don't think they could be wrong. Ever, ever, ever. Don't be one of them. In fact, I have been wrong. And so... I was told, do not read anything that does not have our church's stamp of approval. And I remember thinking, whoa. And then I heard the gospel. And then somebody, somebody gave me two tracts. 
that did not have my church's stamp of approval on it. Where will you be five minutes after you die? And the golden rule is not enough. I mean, those were two things that hit me where I needed it. In fact, I remember back then, um, I'm thinking, well, this isn't approved of my church. I can't read this. But I was also hearing the gospel verbally. And I, I was not a good religion that I went to because I read those tracts. And I listened to this guy and I got saved. And I realized then that, that God opened my eyes and I realized how wrong someone can be who thinks they are so right. That's why the nature of deception is you don't know it's happening to you. And so I want to encourage you. If you, you've got your particular beliefs, you need to be open to someone challenging them because you could be wrong. Somebody made this statement. I didn't understand it until a few months in. And now it's, this is so true. Many people are more concerned with the pursuit of certainty than they are with the pursuit of truth. Let me read that again or explain that. There are a lot of people that are, they are more interested in the pursuit of certainty, like I know I'm right, than they are the pursuit of truth. And it's very hard not to do that. They would rather be right. You hear someone say, I was born this religion, or I, this is the religion I believe, or this is the philosophy I, I believe, and I'm not going to change it for anything. That's really dangerous. Because we're supposed to be pursuing truth, not certainty. And so many different cults and false teachings, the people are so absolutely sure that they're right that you can't penetrate them. You can't penetrate them. It is heartbreaking. People that are not open to the gospel, you love them and you pray for them for years, and they're they, they so convinced they are right that they won't even hear an alternate view. Last point. Look at um, the criteria of growth. We have the challenge to grow, verse 9. The course to grow. In other words, you know, looking things and, and dis, dis, discerning and embracing the things which are excellent. And then it says, and here's the purpose of it, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Why are we supposed to be discerning? Why are we supposed to approve, test and find out, not just good things, but the best thing? And by the way, if you want one more little application, how do you really know? Well, think about it. Have you ever been involved in something for years that has taken your energy and your time, and you ended up being able to step away from that and look back and you think, I could have I could have done I could have spent my time better. I, I've done that. Any of you done that? You know, it's like, man, now that I'm looking back on that, I you know, and maybe the thing wasn't good, maybe the thing I mean, maybe the thing was good, maybe the thing was bad. But no matter what, you're like you look at that time and you think, oh, I, I wish I had made different choices. I, I could have spent that time better. By the way, don't dwell on that too long. You, you know, you can you can you can look at that, learn. And then put it under the blood. Especially if it was something bad. you know, Because the devil wants to say, he wants to keep bringing that back. Hey, look how much time you wasted. Look what you did to yourself or whatever. Don't let the devil do that. Just say, okay, you know, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to make better choices so I can 
test and approve and embrace the things that are best. Why? Here's verse, again, verse 11. Unto the glory of God. You know, I have struggled. Uh, there, there are, there's two kinds of soul winning evangelism. There's one that is carnal, fleshly, boasting, and, exalt, and, and it's an exalted man's version. Talking about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, James 3. There are people that present evangelism as, I've led more souls than you. And it, it becomes a numbers game. It becomes a very carnal, fleshly thing. And the goal becomes not trying to reason with people and embrace truth, but the goal is to get a profession. Have them say this prayer so you can, you can go and tell your pastor friends or other friends, I've led more people to the Lord this week than you. I mean, there's such a, it, it just, um, and then there's another kind of evangelism that is, is humble. It is concerned with souls. It's not just trying to get, you know, sell the deal, make the sale. It's, it's really engaging and paying attention to where people are. And you know what? I'm finding more and more, more and more, there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasoning and, and arguing and talking to people that we need to do more than before we even get to the gospel because there's some people have so much baggage that they never had before as far as what they believe and all but you know what humble evangelism is it's engaging people and and communicating with them where they're at and and you may not always seal the deal in fact you may not even get to present the gospel and I want to encourage you this just because you don't get to present the gospel, because you're wrestling with some peripheral truth that's kind of a foundational truth, but you get to talk for spiritual things and, and kind of challenge someone on a false belief and just get them thinking, you have had an encounter that glorifies God. He's the one that saves us all anyway. I remember going to a church when I was in Lancaster, and an evangelist came in there, and um, and he walks in and you know, he gets up on the pulpit and he says, I just want you to know that I am a soul winner. And, and he was like, and he was boasting like, it was, I, f- I felt like he was beating his chest, saying, I lead more souls to Christ than you do. Wait a minute. Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth, nor he that um, watereth, but he, God that gave the increase that should be glorified. And so I love, I love humble people that really care for souls. And there's a verse, when it comes to soul winning, evangelism, there's a verse that I've been thinking of a lot lately, and it is Proverbs 27.2. It says this, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth. A stranger, and not thine own lips. Don't tell me how great you are at winning souls. Just win souls or evangelize. And when people get saved, they'll glorify God. And then some cases you'll get the credit, but that's not what you're after, right? You just want to see souls saved. So I want to give you an example. I got an email a couple days ago that blessed my gizzards off. And I don't have gizzards, but I mean, it just, it just, and I want you to listen to this. This just blessed me. And it just, oh, just thrilled my soul. She said, Dear Pastor Steve Lyons, 
There's no S in my name. I'm not lions, I'm lion. But that's, I'm not upset about that. <laughs> I'm only kidding here. I mean, she did say that. Dear Pastor Steve Lyons, around the year 2008 or 2009, I was an agency nurse and would park in a garage that was run by a man named Skip. I believe he shared the gospel with me one morning, but at the time I was still, and then she mentioned her religion, which was mine, Trusting in my religion, or yes, instead of a personal relationship. See, salvation is not a religion, it's a relationship. When you trust in a religion, religion doesn't save you. E- even this one, Baptist, sorry. You, going to, you think you're getting to heaven by Baptist? Not going to work. She said, I, I, um, I believed, or excuse me, let me back up. I believe he shared the gospel. So some of what he said did get through to me, but some parts did not completely get through. However, he was wise and cared enough to give me a track. I always kept that track. By the way, hand out tracks. You never know how God will use it. Around 2015, so this was 2008, 2009, that she had this encounter with a guy named Skip. 2015. I started to have a lot of problems in my life. Everything hit rock bottom. I had a friend at work who was a Christian, who was also the wife of a pastor. I would pour my problems out to her, and I remember her saying to me, do you know where you would spend eternity if you died? I remember having so many problems, I really didn't want to get involved with a different religion. There's the idea, you know. Yet I gave it a chance, visited the church, and counseled and connected with the people at her church. After a few months to almost a year later, I asked her and another Christian how I could be saved. I guess I thought as a, names her religion, who was baptized that I already had this Holy Spirit before attending this Bible-believing church where I found out the truth about eternity. She explained it to me, and I was still a little bit confused. I really wanted to make sure that I got my steps of salvation done correctly. She explained it to me, and I was still a little bit confused. Excuse me. Then I remembered I always kept this track. So I was able to read it and get even more of an understanding of what salvation really was so that I knew my salvation would be genuine. That track really just helped to seal in writing what was being verbally told to me about the gospel. She said, I remember kneeling down by my bedside, holding this track and praying a sincere prayer of salvation. So not only the girl who witnessed to me, but also the track that was given to me almost eight years earlier were part of my journey where God and his amazing love and grace brought me to salvation. So she got saved on January 16th, 2016. So that was like some years ago. Um... She said, I I find it very important to talk to people about Christ, and I carry tracks with me everywhere I go. She says, it's not often on this side of heaven that you find out that when somebody gives you a track, it eventually is used as a part of a person's salvation. But Skip definitely helped to cultivate that seed that eventually led to a personal relationship with Christ. Isn't that awesome? By the way, I got to tell Skip last night, and he did what I'm doing right now. He got choked up. She said, I'm not sure if he still goes to your church. He goes online. Uh, and uh, and um, 
I'm not sure if he goes to your church, but I would greatly appreciate it if you would let him know that I thank him graciously for his bold witness. And I still have this track to this day. And remember, as part of my testimony, he was a part of the beginning journey to God's grace that led me to salvation. And I had the opportunity to share that. With she actually took a picture. Remember the track, God's Simple Plan of Salvation? It was on there. Um, but it was when we moved, moved over here. We just moved over here. And we had the old address and Skip crossed it out and put the new address. She still had that track. It was like 15, 15 years old now. And that track was precious to her. And, you know, a God bless, boy, Skip was so blessed. And she, by the way, she gave me permission. Her name is Pam. Uh, she, in fact, she passed some messages on back and forth with Skip. It just made Skip's day, as you can imagine. But, you know, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, growing. And, and folks, God is glorified. And praise God that back in 2000 and 2000, 2008, 2009, I rem- Skip worked at that parking lot. I remember that. Uh, in fact, I don't know if he actually, um, he ran the parking lot, lot. The garage, I would park in a garage that was run by Skip. I, I don't know if Skip was the, the lord of that garage. But I'm telling you, you know, Skip has a burden to talk to people. And he witnessed to this person, never saw anything of it, like many of his encounters. And look what God did. And look what happens when you and I don't just do stuff that's good, but we discern all our choices and and not say, is this good? Let's say, is this the best thing I can do? Approving things that are excellent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us as we have decisions, we make choices every single day. And Father, I pray that you would help us to not just do all the good that we can at all the times we can, to all the souls we can, in every place we can, uh, as long as ever we can. But Father, help us to choose the best. Help us to choose that which is excellent. 